This presentation, um, we did it a couple of years ago. I want to do it again. I think it's very valuable. Uh, I added some more stuff. And I'm trying to kind of crystallize what are the general themes, the general ideas behind Jewish parenting. Um, parenting, you know, it's people, when they become parents, they don't necessarily get training for it. You kind of go into it blind. And it's, it's, it's a very hard job. I think it's, it's harder than most vocational jobs, right? Or, you know, but people spend, I don't know, 10 years becoming a physician and, you know, three years becoming a lawyer. And how many, how many years do we spend becoming parents? It's time we just... Yeah, and we're, and we're on our own, really. Uh, and it's, it's, I think it's arguably a harder job than all of those because you're dealing with, with kids, and kids are very raw, and they change every six months. It's a different child and different challenges. And they behave in ways that really mystify us. Uh, and I think it's, it's worthwhile to go to the Torah and see what kind of central themes the Torah has about parenting because it's very valuable uh, even for us uh, today. So what I did is I took core ideas of parenting and I tried to distill it to, uh, to ten central lessons, I think, that uh, really encapsulate what the Torah says about parenting. So I want to start here, Ten Commandments of Parenting. I think the first one maybe is a little bit surprising because it's so obvious, but it's, it's, I, don't, I don't think it really is so obvious, and that is thou shalt parent. It's interesting that when an animal is born, it's good to go. Like the relationship that it has with a parent, it maybe for a little bit the parent gets some food for it, but that's really it. There's an entirely different relationship that we have with children. Your know, children are, you know, they're, they're, they can't be on their own until they're for 20 years, really, and some even beyond, right? The people living in their parents' basement. There's a, all the millennials live in the parents' basement. So it's interesting that, we, that the Almighty kind of designed it that animals, they're, they're born, they're really on their own right away, all of them. They could, you know, could at least move around and mobile, and our kids spend, you know, a couple of months, certainly, before they're even self-aware and able to move around and fend for themselves to even a slight degree. But also that there's this entire extended period of, of parenting that essentially gives the parent the ability to help mold and formulate their child. And the Talmud tells us uh, tell something very interesting. The Talmud says that every, every person, there's three partners that are in control of that person, that form the person. It's the parents, father, mother, and the Almighty. And I think this is you know, a microcosm, really, of, of life itself, in that we have a role to play. A parent, parents that do a good job, that, that will be reflected in the child. And parents that don't do a good job, unfortunately, the child will exhibit that as well in their behavior. So it's really a, a, an entire arena where the parents' decisions, the parents' impact really matters. You know, we are partners. We're, we're at the table and we decide. Of course, the Almighty is there as well. The Almighty gives us life and gives us uh, vitality uh, and goodness, of course. But the parents really, with their, uh, their ability to direct the child and to guide the child and the parent properly, they have a say whether the child grows and flourishes and develops really nicely. Or unfortunately, if the child you know, is, is neglected, 
um, and the child's needs are neglected, and the child doesn't give, isn't given good guidelines for living, then the child will, will indeed suffer. But I think this is kind of one example, but really that's what life really is. Life is where we decide our future, but the Almighty also decides our future because we're partners. We spoke about this last week, where the evil eye means is that that's a way of a person uh, giving over what, th- what their position on a given matter is vis-a-vis another person. But as parents, like, we have an actual responsibility to parents. We can't just, like, if the child left alone, is not going to develop properly. It's not. It's not going to happen. And we have a responsibility. And in fact, it's a mitzvah for us to parent. And the way the child is physiologically built, they need actual, they need parenting. They, they, they can't develop properly without that. So for example, um, we're told right away there's mitzvahs that a parent has with a child. Uh, mitzvah, the first thing, of course, to circumcise a child, a boy, that would be, of course, um, to teach, teach them Torah and, and to marry them off. So to me, this is very interesting. It's, there's actually a mitzvah in the Torah for parents to marry off their child. <coughs> now, by the time people get married, how old are they? But to me, this is interesting because we think of parenting, you know, it's generally maybe the first kind of 10 years or 15 years, but certainly not all the way uh, to someone's someone's marriage, marriage, they get married with a 20 or 25 or 30, then they're kind of away from their parents. It's possible, I have a theory, that maybe, indeed, the responsibility of parenting extends from birth or even before that until the child is actually on their own, like they're married and they have their own life. Uh, someone once compared parenting as uh, the parent's candle is touching the child's candle until the child's candle's lit on his own. It's kind of perpetuating this, this, uh, this life and light onwards. And maybe like until a child's married, they still need their parents. Uh, maybe. But I would, I would say that, that the, the influence, the capacity for a parent to influence and to kind of change the child is at, at its peak early on. Someone once said, I don't know, I haven't verified this, so I don't want to kind of attribute... Um, this idea, but someone said that we really have six years to get our kids on the right track, and then we're kind of and that's we're really where we're establishing the fundamentals and the uh, you know the foundations of their life. I don't know if that's true or not, but that that idea I think certainly is true. That once a kind of the the relationship is developed, it becomes much harder to deal with a recalcitrant teenager uh, who doesn't like his parents or his or her parents. Uh, than it would be to make sure that there's a warm and loving and harmonious and friendly relationship early on, and then when the uh, vicissitudes of teenagehood hit, uh, then it's much easier if the parents already have established a very close and warm and friendly relationship. Uh, Additionally, we're told that a parent has to teach their child uh, a trade. In fact, Talmud says, if a parent does not teach a child how to make a living, how to have a livelihood, then it's as if they taught them to be a thief. What that means is, is that your responsibility to teach is not just to do good and not do harm. It's if you don't do good, you will do harm. The child's incomplete. If you don't fill the gaps and the voids, then by definition, you are ensuring that that void will remain. If the child becomes a thief because dad didn't teach him how to make a decent living, who taught him how to be a thief? His parents. And his parents are responsible. 
Um, a child, a parent needs to teach a child how to swim. So this is an interesting one. This is all, this is all sourced in the Torah. How to swim. Why, why would a parent need to teach a child how to swim? It's nice, good exercise. The best kind of exercise, right? Survival. That, that, that's that. Right? We, we, it's very likely at some point in the child's life that they will be in the swimming pool or someone will shove them in the swimming pool or they'll, be in, 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 you know, they'll have to cross a river or whatever. And they need to know how to swim. And if they don't swim, they don't have to swim, they may drown. But I, I think we can safely say that, yes, while swimming is an area that they may need for survival, but that's because they need to know how to swim, the parent needs to teach the child how to swim. In our world, you know, the parent needs to teach the child how to cross the road safely, right? Because children need to cross the road. It's going to happen. You have to teach a child how to do it. Uh, and parents need to teach their kids about how to manage uh, with school. School's very unnatural for kids, at least my kids. It's not a natural setting for them. And it's challenging for them. And we kind of thrust our kids into school and we say, oh, thank God, we can go back to our life, Right. You drop them off, and we have eight hours of respite. Um, but, the, you know, that, that's another area. But, you know, kids are growing up in a crazy world. And it's our responsibility to make sure that our kids are prepared uh, for what they're going to face. It's a crazy world that we, give our, you know, we, we, we present to our kids. And, you know, the kids, now they have, uh, uh, they could go online. And, of course, it's a very wonderful resource and a way for them to learn about the world. But it's full of the craziest people. We have a YouTube channel. We have a YouTube channel, right? Um, so we do videos, right? We, we, now we're moving through a lot of Facebook stuff. But we have uh, some YouTube videos. And I, you look, I look at the comments. So we moderate the comments. <laughs> the comments that are on... Our, we don't say such outrageous stuff. It's Torah stuff, right? Yeah. I have this one video that I posted. Why everyone hates the Jews. And you know what? He's right. Because... Uh, according to the FBI, in America, in America, a place where we live, 58% of hate crimes of religious nature are against Jews. This whole Islamophobia, it's a bunch of nonsense. There is no Islamophobia. There's Judeophobia, whatever you want to call it. Really, 58%, much more than Muslims or any other group. And that's in America. And that's, you know, the, the most, I guess, progressive in, in this area of any country in, in history. But it's a fact, and you learn about Jewish history, it's clear that Jew hatred has been a constant in the past, you know, for, for sure a thousand years. So I, I, and that's a good question. So he asked the question, I gave an answer, and I have all the emails about, about uh, just the uh, uncensored emails of what people say online. And the most vile things that you won't imagine, you cannot in your life imagine what people say online, and that's just common. And we give our kids, say, okay, here's an iPad. Go learn about uh, butterflies. And they learn, yeah, and that's, that's good and it's great. But it's, it's terrifying. Send your innocent little children and they go online and who knows what they're going to meet, who, what, you know, what they're going to say. And, and then what happens? You know how many Jewish kids today are, are anti-Zionist or anti-Israel? It's very common. Why? Because they're exposed to all that nonsense. And it's not like this is an area that education won't help. Like if parents would educate the child, okay, let's, let's get to know the facts, what's real, what's fact, what's fiction, what's proper, what's ethical, what's moral, what's good. The kids will be prepared to deal with that. We just expose them to everything. Oh, you know, you 
you have to open their mind. Of course you have to open their minds, but you don't have to fill it with uh, all the uh, sewage in the world. Mm-hmm. That's not a good thing. Not and the funny thing is, it's, 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 so, it's so asinine, because Israel's the one liberal democracy in, in the craziest neighborhood in the world, and there's 500,000 dead Syrians, and no one cares. No one. But God forbid there's a checkpoint because people are pu- pulling knives and stabbing people. God forbid. Oh, no. Right? It's insane. It's preposterous. You know, and, and this should be the one area that for sure parents should be able to influence their children. But, you know, the world and, and all the voices are very powerful. You know, we have the most powerful voice for our, our children, at least initially. Uh, but if we don't kind of take that microphone and, and, and utilize it, then, you know, the other voices will drown us out once it's too late. Okay, so that's the first one. Got a parent. Uh, now, children are different. So that brings us to number two, and that's you have to individualize your parenting. You can't, you know, have a cookie-cutter solution for kids. And anyone who has two kids knows that... Anyone who has two kids, you know that kids are different, right? Because you have... And everyone will say, well, it's amazing. My first kid, my second kid, couldn't be any more different. And the truth is, every kid can't be any more different. I think the Almighty plays this nice trick on us that specifically the first and second kids are always the most different to just impress upon us. Every kid's different and what works for one might not work for the other. You have to tailor craft the parenting to the individual <coughs> nature of the child. I know with me. You know, some, some kids you know, they need a lot of cuddling and support and encouragement. The other ones like, you know, they just want to be on their own. You know, uh, they just want to just go out and run around, you know. You know, my philosophy is a little bit um, to go easy on the homework. You know, kids don't become geniuses in third grade. And uh, to have, just I think, I think homework's outrageous. I know if you may disagree with me, sorry, but I think it's the kids have enough time in school and they need to play. I think playing is a big deal. Uh, but there's got to be consistency, right? If you're going to say you got to do your homework, if that's what you're going to pick your fight over, great, you pick the fight and good luck, you got to fight it. You know, or clean up your room or whatever. But whatever it is, there has to be consistency. So, you know, and, and parents well, have sure. to decide what's, you know, what's, what's important. And you got to stick, stick to that. And that's an ideal and that's important. And what's not important. Sure. And part of that is to individualize the parenting. You can't say what works for one kid is work for the other kids. Uh, because every kid's different. And in fact, there's a verse, very famous verse that we read in scripture. You have to educate the child as per their own way. And then, even when they go, get old, they will not deviate from it. And this teaches us really two things. Number one, it teaches us that, well, how do, you, how do you train, how do you educate a child that's in his own way? But also, it tells us what the focus really is. And this brings us to number three. You have to parent with a long-term view. What are you thinking when you're parenting a six-year-old child or a four-year-old child? So... We were tempted to try to make the best situation right now. You know, the kid uh, has a penchant for doing something that makes his room, his or her room, messy. So you, want, you, so you want a clean room, of course, but you also want the child, when they're old, to be successful. You know, that's that's your perspective. So you you have this tension between immediate results and long-term results. Uh, and in fact, uh, I think there's, you know, there's a, a, famous, uh, a famous psalm that King David wrote uh, about the inauguration of the temple. 
and he calls it, the Hebrew, Hebrew word for inauguration or something, is the same word as education. And I was thinking that maybe it's not a coincidence, where when you want to build a house, so the bigger, more, more magnificent the house that you want to make, well, the longer the amount of time that the house is going to be under construction. And a house under construction, it doesn't really fill any of the responsibilities that a house ought to fill. It doesn't provide shelter, or you can't really live there. If you want immediate results, you could build a little tent and, you know, it's, it's good now. Uh, but then harsher conditions, and that's not so impressive, you know. We want to build wonderful, amazing, fantastic children. What they realize is it's a long process. And long process, of course, demands patience, but also demands that in every pedagogical decision that you make, what's your aim? And of course, we want immediate results, but oftentimes those decisions that will garner the best immediate results will have the worst long-term results. So for example, I think spanking children, I think it's probably the most effective way to get immediate results. Mm-hmm. If, that's, that, if that's all that matters. If you, know, if you spank the child, it's a very good way to get immediate results. I'm, I'm not trying to argue that no one should, parents should never spank their child and say the child is as if, as if it's, he's the red heifer, you know, you can't touch him, right? Um, but if that, some people utilize that, I think it was probably more common uh, back in the day, uh, they utilize it as a foundational educational policy, you know, and, and, and that I think is very, very harmful because, like I said, we're thinking about, about the long term. Children are like adults, you know, if you have someone who gives you a nice... Uh, a shakedown, a verbal shakedown. Even as adults, it, it's 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 very jarring for children, all the more so. So I, I think that there is an equivalent between screaming at a child and berating and castigating a child yeah. and spanking a child. I don't think it's 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 any better because you're going to harm the child's okay. self-esteem, yeah. and they're not going to like that because children, like adults, don't like pain. So the more pain that you heap on the child, the more you're going to have to pay for that pain. It comes at a cost. So there's a trade-off. Uh, let's move on here. Uh, this we already kind of mentioned, but you have to love your children. I know that that's probably self-understood, uh, but you also have to tell them about it. Like, that's really what the found- foundation of the relationship is. It's, it's one of love. And that really is above all else. And also, like we, like we mentioned before, like what is going to ensure that when the child becomes a teenager or an adult, that there still is an open channel of communication and there's still a very positive relationship. It's the love of their, of their youth. Uh, so this is something that we mentioned a few times, kind of it came up over here, that I think generally parents don't necessarily recognize the power that they have over their children because, like someone said, um, a few people mentioned this, that we really create their reality. Whatever you tell a child they are, that's what they are. And whatever you tell a child, like kind of the, the spin that you put on 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 any uh, circumstances that you have to interact with, uh, that's going to be their circumstances. I, I had this example uh, that I was th- I thought about recently. So we have a Shabbos table, right? So there's tons of stuff on the Shabbos table. The meal's over. Well, what happens with all the stuff, right? Kids got to help, right? So what do we say? You say, put back. Everyone has to put back a minimum of ten things. So first the kid may say no or not, but the kid agrees. Let's assume the kid agrees. Puts by ten things. But when you present it like that, then the kid, the kid feels like, okay, I have this burden to put by ten things. 
it's a burden, it's slavery. But what can I do? Right? They pay for my uh, they pay they pay for my room and board. I gotta listen, or they threaten whatever sanctions. I gotta listen, and they do it. Wouldn't it better be better for the spin to be on it that everyone like not to count ten things? No, everyone like we're a family working together. Like you know, let's let let let's let's do this together. Let's see how fast we can do this together. Or right, you know, but present the the positive spin, and thus they feel like helping and contributing. It's something. It's something. Uh, it's something that that they want to do, and it's something that's that's rewarding. I was thinking kind of different aspects of this. So self-esteem, right? You want to, you want the child to feel good about themselves, and I think arguably this is maybe one of the most important things that a parent can give the child is a feeling of purpose, of that they're valuable, that they're important, that they have the ability to do whatever they set their mind to. Um, there is a negative to that, I think. Uh, and that is, is that sometimes we present that as abilities versus effort. We want to boost our child in a way that's not harmful for them. So, for example, you tell a child, you are so bright, you are so intelligent, you're so wicked smart. Is it good for a child to know that they're wicked smart? If they are, maybe. It's positive. They know it's a good quality. But I think it's also dangerous. Because remember, we're creating the world that the child lives in. child lives in a world that they're very smart. What if they're not so smart? Well, then they feel like part of their internal you know, self-evaluation is crumbling. So what happens? child thinks he's so smart. Parents told him he's so smart. Well, what happens now? He gets the stool. And there's kids that are either maybe as smart or more capable or more bright. Or he knows that he struggles at math, for example. So he's never an aversion for challenging him or herself in math because if they fail, maybe they're not so smart after all. And that conflicts with their self-perception. So it's much better, it's much preferable to tell a child not that you're so capable and so gifted and so talented and rather to kind of boost their growth mindset to boost the fact that like you know what you can accomplish and focus on accomplishments and not necessarily on abilities focus on action not on potential and i think there's a negative to this as well like we tell kids that are things that are difficult to do i know i have this myself like there's certain volumes of the talmud that like everyone knows like these are hard volumes Oh, they're hard. But in, if, if they're hard, if you, find, if, you, if you approach it, this is difficult material, then you might have a hard time, actually. Like, you'll, you'll, you'll have, you know, you'll have an aversion from doing that because we don't want to do things that are too hard for us. Like, if you know, like, this is quantum mechanics or whatever, something that's like, whoa, you know. No, like, we're humans. We're very, we're very gifted, very capable. Let's take it on. Like, why are we so scared of all these things? The, the, right, the right mindset of... of, 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 of of tackling those things that are so difficult. How difficult are they really, right? You know, um, there's a story about a guy in, um, in California, a university student, who apparently came late to a class. This is verified. He came late to a class, and he saw on the board two equations. Fell by the name of uh, George Danzig, his name is. He saw two equations on the board, and he assumed it was homework. So he went home, and he just did him. And it turns out these were, weren't quite unsolvable problems, but they were unproven statistical theorems 
that because he was just, he's like, yeah, we've got to do this. He just assumed it was just homework. He just did it. Uh, and if he would have been told, and he, he himself said this in an interview, if he had been told, like, these are unsolved, like, if, you know, it's, yeah, it's impossible, no one's ever proven it, he wouldn't have done it. But how many things in life are there that, you know, we're so steered of tackling because it's so hard? And if a parent, <clears throat> parents recognize that they are chiefly responsible in determining what a child thinks of themselves, what a child thinks of the world. And I think also we, we don't really recognize the capacity that these children, that children have. We like to dumb things down, and that's, I think, sometimes a, mis- a mistake. There was a, an educator in Israel that I know that he, he did an experiment. He took a certain volume of the Talmud that is so difficult. And he had a bunch of third graders, and he said, okay, I'm going to teach them, and they'll all know it. And he taught them, and they all know it. They all knew it, and they all got it, and it's not so hard. You know, we create these artificial barriers for us to greatness by labeling things as being very difficult. Okay, so teaching by example. You have, to, you have to teach by example. And children are more likely to adopt the way the parents behave than the way they instruct. Um, and I, but I think this extends certainly, uh, you know, as, as Jews, it's ever more important for us. You know, we, we struggle as a nation, I would say, certainly in America, to try to infuse our children with the same values and the same relationship that we have with Judaism um, in, in, you know, to them. And parents struggle a lot. I met someone this week. He's like, uh, he's asking me, is his son is not so interested in Judaism. His son's 17. Could someone teach them Hebrew? Could someone try to get them involved? And this is common. And I don't want to tell this guy, but I, I guarantee... That I, if I were to ask him, okay, you know, what was your level of enthusiasm in Judaism, and what did the kids see? And if we're not enthusiastic about our Judaism, it should not be a shock that the kid is not enthusiastic about it either. And and then when the kid goes off and says, oh, I'm not interested in any of this stuff, okay, well, why are they saying that? Is it possible that maybe you have a say in that? Because the kid's going to, you know, the kid's going to reflect what the parents' attitude towards it was. So I, I think for another you know, example, you know, we, so you gave an example of conflicting messages. Yeah. Uh, but if we view our Torah, our Judaism as a, as a chore, as a challenge, as, as, as a hassle, well, kids, like adults, want to avoid pain. And if, if Judaism is painful, they're going to find another alternative. Mm-hmm. You know, as adults, we face a lot of, it's a difficult to be an adult. It's much harder to be an adult than to be a child, I think, in certain respect. You've got to make a living, you've got to deal with coworkers, you got to deal with bosses, you know, you have to deal with bills and deadlines. It's very hard, right? You've got to deal with kids, right? And it's very, it's very hard for us to have a side that we show our children that life is really so exciting. You know, life is exciting. It's so wonderful. And it's so, it's, I'm so happy to be alive. But can we say that maybe is there anything more important than a child know, knowing how valuable and how wonderful the opportunity is to, to live and to... Just, just to be alive, how wonderful that is. You know, but if we present a, a, a face of melancholy to our children, well, what lesson do they learn? We have to be, always be exciting and positive and upbeat and excited and it's so wonderful and so happy, let's dance on tables. And that attitude, I think, really will permeate uh, to our children. Our kids need to know that life is positive. The difficulties that we face as parents in our own lives that should not negatively affect our, par- our parenting, right? So if I'm depressed because of something that the kid's not responsible for, they shouldn't suffer. But oh, no. 
But if I say, listen, if I explain to my, si- my son that I'm so happy to be alive, I'm so, so joyous, but something very sad happened and that's why I'm sad, I think that's a very powerful lesson. You know, but if I'm just snappy with him because I'm upset at my boss, that's not fair to the child. Why should the fact that I'm upset at my boss cause me to be a bad parent? That's not fair. Now, um, if we are good role models as parents, as we teach by example, our kids will like to follow that. Now, there's a caveat to this. Why does being a good example, why does that positively affect the child? Yes, the reason is... If there's a healthy relationship between parents and children, it's a normal, ha- happy, healthy, stable, harmonious home, children want to emulate the parents. But if the, par- if the ch- child does not like you, then in fact the opposite is true. All this is predicated on the child and you having a loving relationship. So a loving relationship that ensures the child wants to be like you. And thus, when you behave in a certain way, they'll follow by example. But if the child hates you, then they'll want to be exactly the opposite of you. So you behaving properly will in fact have a negative consequence because they'll want to specifically want to spite you and do the exact opposite. So in fact, you're better off behaving terribly. Okay, what about uh, discipline and uh, confrontation? This is, I would say, maybe one of the most uh, debated areas of parenting. Um, how much to discipline, how much to punish, or consequences, depends how you want to say that. I think certainly, you know, passive-aggressive punishment is, is bad because you don't really accomplish anything. Um, where, you know, you just ignore a child. It's very, it's very painful for for a child when you ignore them, and I don't think you really accomplish uh, that much. The golden rule is to have whatever standards you have. If you have a set of rules that are, that are yeah, you know, and you stick by them, then the, parent, the child knows, like, these are rules and these are, you know, these are firm. If you make a threat, you have to live with that threat. And you have to uphold your side of the... Of, you know, because children are going to test you. So if you say, if you if you make a if you make a threat, it's used very sparingly because there may come a time where the threat will have to be actualized, and you'll have to do it, or else you lose a little bit of your influence because child thinks, oh, parents are a little bit wishy washy, and whatever they say doesn't really mean what they say it means. Okay, so this brings us to number eight. We have to collaborate with our partners. Um, I think maybe one thing that's very harmful for parenting is where the father and the mother aren't aligned in their aims for the child. And if they have opposing uh, ways of dealing with the child, that's more harmful than doing something that's bad, so to speak. At least they're both united. Um, I I would argue that having a very happy marriage is probably vital and critical for for being a good parent. Um, and, and you have to collaborate, which means to talk about your, own, about your kids, to communicate about them. Not about that exclusively, like find, find other things to talk about as well. Um, but certainly, you know, you, you're in this together, you're partners, and you have to debate and discuss to see what's the best approach for every one of your children um, through every one of their challenges. 
Uh, but I said specifically partners because we have the Almighty. The Almighty is a partner in, in this. In fact, uh, during the month of Elul that we're in right now, uh, there's a tradition to read the 27th Psalm every day, twice. And there's one line there, a very powerful line, where King David writes that my father and my mother have abandoned me, but the Almighty has gathered me in. And this really goes back to what we said previously, is that there's, there's three partners. And we cannot keep the Almighty out of his role that he has to play in parenting the child. So what does that mean? That means getting him involved. How do you get, how do you get the Almighty involved in parenting? One word, prayer. Prayer is the way to include the Almighty in parenting. And by the way, you know who's the most skilled out of the three partners in parenting? Certainly the Almighty. The Almighty is a more skilled educator than even the best mother. Of course, because the Almighty knows who we are and what, we're, what we are and what makes us tick and how, and how to make sure everything goes, goes well and how to guard the you know, the child from, from bad things, bad influences, and bad friends, and harmful, you know, harmful, harmful uh, things that, uh, that are dangerous. You want to have the, the Almighty involved. And how do you do that? You do that by praying, of course. And every, every person who has responsibility, that has to be reflected in prayer as well. I think the idea of, of having three partners in man, I think it also extends to letting the kids know about that as well. Like the kids know that, you know, daddy loves them and mommy loves them and the Almighty loves them. But like, that's important for a kid to know that there's this invisible player you can't see but you can relate to that's part of our family, so to speak. And that's a very powerful thing for, for a kid to know. We are a mixed bag, all of us, of good and bad character. And unfortunately bad parenting is usually reflective of bad character. So if a parent's impatient, that will be reflected in the way they treat their child because they want the child to be good now. They don't have to wait. And thus their impatience will cause them to be bad parent, a bad, a bad parent. Of course, to be angry, you know, so we think that, oh, well, I'm a parent, I'm a pedagogue. I have to respond properly you know, with anger. No, it's very often it's just because we're angry people or we have angry tendencies that we need to curb and that's going to negatively influence our, uh, our parenting if we allow that to interfere. So um, you see the neighbor's kid. The neighbor's kid just excels. So respectful, yes ma'am, yes sir. Um, excels in schoolwork, always neatly dressed, just nice, you know, just so wonderful. And you're like, you're telling your kid, like, you're mentally kind of trying to grapple with the fact that the neighbor's kid is just so much more successful in every way than your own child. But what's that? That's pure envy. It's just straight up envy. It's just a terrible mida, terrible character. It's your own terrible character. And now you're going to let that off on your kid because you're envious of your neighbor. Or when the kid is misbehaving around other people. You're worried how, you ha- how people are going to judge you. Yeah. You don't think about the kid's interest. You can invite other people, how are they going to judge you? And therefore, you're going to say, you know, you get very angry at your kid. How are you speaking like this? Yeah, I once had one of my kids. One of my little kids. 
we were in a pizza pizza shop, and he was upset at something, and he streamed on top of his lunch. He was streaming on top of his lunch. Shut up! <laughs> in this crowded pizza shop, and I was like looking around, and I'm thinking like this is so embarrassing. I want to just curl over, right? But like you know, this is a kid. He's going through a phase, and he and now I'm embarrassed. So I'm going to let that interfere. So he has to suffer. So maybe there's an appropriate response. You know, we don't talk like that. But I shouldn't respond only because I'm now embarrassed if I'm not going to respond otherwise. But really, in every arena of our parenting, there's going to be our own personal bad midos, our own personal bad character is going to make it hard for us to be good parents. You know, there's this, uh, this, whole, uh, this whole notion called sar didlvanim, which means the pain of raising children. It's difficult to raise children. It's not easy. I want to theorize that the reason why it's not easy is because to do it properly, the parent themselves has to perfect their own character. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't have good character, uh, it's impossible to, to parent properly. Control, right? We like to be in control. And that, of course, you know, we have the kid who's under our thumb. And the kid does things that are you know, that, that are in conflict with what we would like in our ideal world, and they would say, ah, I'm going to get control, I'm going to lock you up, you know. You see parents that put kids on leashes as if they're dogs. You've seen that. You go to the mall, you'll see it all the time. I, I, there's a story um, my mom tells about me. When I was, um, when I was uh, seven, uh, I had a uh, tendency to be a, a little bit um, precocious. Uh, either way, I was that kid. And I would, you know, and I would, I would be a little bit of a, ter- a terrorist in the neighborhood. And uh, so there was this one frustrated mother that I, I might have gotten into some scuffle with her kid or whatever. And she ran and she knocked at the door and she said, you have to put your kid on a leash. And my mother's like, I'm sorry, he's not a dog. I'm sorry. That's what, that's what she said. Uh, but kids are crazy by adult standards. They're crazy. And we need to feel like we're in control. And we can't be in control. But we could. But that's bad needles, necessarily. If your kid's going to fall into the gorilla enclosure, then you have to find <laughs> some way to avoid that. Yeah. You know, but generally, to say that we have to be in total control to telegraph what they do, that's yeah, yeah. It's lockdown. You know, I, 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 felt the, I felt this. I haven't done it, thankfully. I felt like, I want to get a pair of handcuffs. Handcuff the kid to their, his bed yeah. and just have a little few moments of sanity. I yeah. really felt that. <laughs> and that's, that's bad midos. It's bad character. Yeah. You know, we have to realize that we're not in control. You know, the yeah. kid is his own, you know, his own life. We have to try to do as much as we can to help. But especially at the stages that they are when they're totally, uh, you know, you, you can talk to them for whatever reason. Exactly. Or whatever. They're hyper. Yeah. And that's just the way it is, and you have to just you have to just bear it, and that's that's why it's painful to raise kids because you have to bear. Uh, and lastly, um, this is a little bit of a different fly. That's the fly fly in the window syndrome. Sometimes you see the fly that is so positive that there's you know they see a w- clear window, and every time they try to fly through it, they just they hit something invisible. Sometimes we don't know what's stunting uh, the progress of our kids or our parenting methods. Something's not working and it's, it's harmful for the child, harmful for the parent. And sometimes it's just, you have to just wait it out. Um, and sometimes maybe 
I may be talking from personal experience here, but sometimes maybe the school is trying to see more immediate results and you want to have a little bit more patience, let the kid kind of get through childhood. Uh, but sometimes, like, there's something that's something that's just, it's not working, and you try the same tactics over and over again, and they don't work. And we have a tendency to just kind of get into a certain mode of behavior that we're so sure is correct, either because we thought about it and that's what we concluded, or that's just what we just are doing, and we just do it, and, and we want to be principled. Or we, or we don't want to address it, but if it's not working, you have to re- reconsider. And thou shall not be obstinate. And try something else. Mm-hmm. Try something else. So certain kids, they need a pet, whether it be a goldfish or a frog. Like my kids like to, to, um, to uh, my kids love like cat. I have one kid that like, loves like touching worms and frogs and those kinds of things. Just no fear of any of those stuff. And like, you know, would catch a, catch a spider and like. You know, I don't know where he gets it from, but like that's 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 his thing, you know. But I think there is this tendency that we have to get into a certain zone, a certain mode, and to stick with it uh, no matter what. And what did uh, Einstein say? The definition of insanity is trying something again and again, and you try to get different results, expect different results. We have to realize sometimes they don't work, and we have to change our tactics. And that's why parenting is not an easy job. Just like thinking about this is valuable. Like, regardless of whether or not we integrate any of these practices into parenting or how it extends to trying to training ourselves, just the thought of the fact that as parents, as educators, as leaders, and as really people who are trying to change ourselves, to just have a convention, a discussion about it is on its own valuable because it gets you into the, into the thought process of even trying to address it or to approach it and to think about it and to strategize and uh, come up with, with ideas and tactics that may or may not work. But either way, to be a mindful parent is, is, a, is, a, is, is better than to just be someone who just does, you know, reactionary, habitual parent and just you know, never really pay much attention to what they're doing. So just quickly, I want to just read off the Ten Commandments, what I think are the Ten Commandments of parenting. Maybe we have to add or subtract a few of them or uh, converge some of them. But number one, thou shalt parent. You have to parent. You can't just expect it to happen on its own. It's part of your job. You're a partner, right? You have to do your responsibility as a parent. You have to individualize. Thou shalt individualize your parenting. Every child's different. They need to be treated differently. Thou shalt parent with a long-term view. We want immediate results. With kids, you can't get optimal immediate results without, without losing, um, without compromising long-term results. Thou shall love your child and express it. This is self-evident, right? That's the foundation, foundation relationship between parents and child. Thou shall boost the child's esteem, self-esteem, which is a way of saying you are the one who is in charge of framing their child, their, their life perspective about themselves and about the world around them. It's a very powerful uh, weapon or tool in your arsenal. Make sure you use it properly. Thou shalt teach by example. Bless right? Bless you. Um, if, if we want our kids to be enthusiastic about something, well, if we're enthusiastic, it's likely that they'll be enthusiastic about it. Um, if they like us, then it's likely they'll want to emulate us. Maybe not in vocation, but maybe in behavior, in the way they treat their own children, etc. Thou shalt discipline and demand with consistency. That's the most important thing above all. The kid knows that when you say something, it matters, both for the good and for the bad. Don't demand too much about them. You're not trying to create a perfect child quite yet. 
if there's a process of development and sprouting that is necessarily going to happen along with time, um, the efforts that you invest now will pay fruit down the line. Thou shalt collaborate with your partners. Right? You're, not in your own, you're not on your own. You have your spouse. You have even the stool, I would say, to a lesser extent. But certainly the Almighty. We oftentimes forget about him. But A, introducing the child to it, and B, praying, right? getting the Almighty involved in parenting is very, very important. Thou shalt not make your parenting an arena for your own negative character traits. Our negative character traits really express themselves with regards to our parenting. Every bad media that we could possibly have will interfere with our with our parenting. If we're great people that have good midos, then when the kid misbehaves in front of other people, it won't bother us as much because other people will judge us. Okay, sometimes people judge us and we have to just deal with it. We're parents. And lastly, thou shalt not be obstinate. Don't be that fly in the window that is so committed and married to one way, even if it doesn't work, and just ride it uh, uh, into oblivion.